This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Once there was a holy place Evidence of God's embrace I can almost see mercy's face Pressed against the veil Cause looking down with longing eyes Mercy must have realized That once his blood was sacrificed Freedom would prevail And as the sky grew dark And the earth began to shake With justice no longer in the way Mercy came running like a prisoner set free Past all my failures To the point of my need When the sin that I carried Was all I could see When I could not reach mercy Mercy came running to me Once there was a broken heart Way too human from the start All the years left it torn apart Hopeless and afraid Walls I never meant to build Left this prisoner unfulfilled Freedom called but even still It seems so far away I was bound by the chains From the wages of my sin And just when I felt like giving in Mercy came running like a prisoner set free Past all my failures To the point of my need When the sin that I carried Was all I could see When I could not reach mercy Mercy came running to me Sometimes I Still feel so far He gently calls to my heart Mercy came running Like a prisoner set free Past all my failures To the point of my need when the sin that I carried was all I could see. When I could not reach mercy, mercy came running to me. Like a prisoner set free, past all my failures to the point of my need. When the sin that I carried. 
was all I could see. When I could not reach mercy, mercy came running to me. Mercy came running to me. Mercy came running to me. Thank you, Darren and Jane. I'm glad for the mercy that came chasing after me. I needed it. We all needed it. Just uh, quickly before we get into our, our study, um, we, we always honor those who um, serve our country. And just very quickly this morning, we, we want to honor Rachel Bush, who is here, just graduated from Air Force training. And uh, Rachel, would you please stand? Uh, this is just so awesome. Congratulations. So proud of you. Just really proud of that girl. And um, at the risk of sounding like an old man, of which I'm not, um, I, I remember when she was just a little baby girl. Isn't that what we're supposed to say as old people? But uh, anyway, congratulations, Rachel. Open your Bibles, please, to Philippians chapter 3. And I'm going to need you to keep your Bibles open and follow along. Um, and be ready to jot down some things, or you can open the uh, Uversion app and look for the Church of God Holiness event and follow along there on that app if you if you prefer to do that. Um, to get us headed in the right direction today, I think we need to have, probably have a focus issue. Some of us are ADD. And uh, so I'm going to ask three rather probing questions. They're going to be really close, and um, I'm going to pause after each question, and I want you to just to try to sort through that and answer in your own mind. But here's the first question. I want you to listen. If you get to where you're headed in life right now, where will you be when you get there? And let me go ahead and just uh, clarify that. Based on the way that you're living right now, you're going someplace. You're headed someplace. So if you keep going in that direction... Where will you be when you get there? Second question. If you accomplish the goals of your life, what will you have at the end of your life? And I'm not referring to financial goals, but I'm talking about priorities of your life. So if you accomplish your priorities, what will you have at the end of your life? Third question, is the life that you are living right now worth the death that Jesus died for you? I mean, knowing that Jesus gave his all for you, is the life that you are now living worth the death that he died for you? Or do you, or do you think that Jesus is looking down and saying, man, I gave him so much, but he's giving me so much. Little? Hopefully these three questions will stimulate our minds and give us a running start as we look at a verse that over the years has been one of my life verses. Let me just say that I believe that as, as Christians we should all have several life verses. Um, 
And I'm not talking about a verse like Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, that you will hear so many times over this graduation season. You hear it all the time, you know. I know the plans I have for you to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future, etc. That, that's a great verse. I love that verse. But it, it, it's taken out of context. You need to read the context before you quote this at a graduation ceremony. It's a great verse. It's in the Bible. Uh, I love that verse, but look at the context. But when I'm talking about a life verse, I'm referring to a verse that every once in a while will just grab you and and shake you up and correct your course. A, a, A verse that we can anchor to and bring us back to what is important. And here's one of those life verses for me. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. I want to know Christ. I could just stop right there. I want to know Christ. And the power of His resurrection. And honestly, I don't like this next part very well. And the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Did you hear that? Sufferings? Becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Can I read this again? In case you go to sleep. I want this verse to be embedded in your mind and your heart. I want to know Christ. And the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. I've been praying this week that God would help me as I share some truths that I believe God has impressed upon my heart. The first truth, and and it's a very simple truth, but the most important truth is this. The priority is to know Christ. The priority is to know Christ. I didn't say a priority is to know Christ. I said the priority is to know Christ. Now, as we look at this uh, verse, for for, for the first segment of our study, I want to break down this verse, uh, verse 10, and we're going to find four phrases that we're just going to kind of investigate and and pick apart and see what the Apostle Paul was saying. And, And the first phrase we want to look at is, I want to know Christ. And this statement pretty much summed up the life goal of the Apostle Paul. He, he said, my most important priority in life is to know Christ, which incidentally would be a far cry from what much of our society would today identify as being most important in life. In fact, a recent blog discussed this question, and here's what the most frequent responses were to what was the most important priority in people's lives. The, the most common response was when, when, when they were asked, what's number one, what's most important? They said, family is most important. Family was number one. Friends were number two. Health was number three. This is interesting. Pets were number four. Money, career, happiness. Now, admittedly, these are okay priorities. There's nothing wrong with these things being a priority. But the problem is that too many times we elevate them to the priority. Let's talk about a few of them this morning. Let's begin with what the majority of people identified as being most important in their life, and that is family. And I think this will speak to some of us today. And let me just preface this by saying family is very important. 
Family should be a major priority in our lives. The Bible speaks to the importance of our families, but there are a couple of reasons that family should not be the priority and occupy the number one spot in our life. And, you know, I've heard many people, in fact, some from this church, they will say, well, my family is number one. Your family should not be number one. The the reason being, if, if your family is number one, then you've made your family a God, which is sin. Family is not to be number one. You know, secondly, if your family is is the most important priority in in your life, then you're setting yourself up for a life of heartache and disappointment. Let me explain that. You know, even if your family is wonderful and super close, and I think most families would say that, yet family still brings us sadness and heartache. Simply because family members come and go. They're born, you get happy. They graduate and move away, you get sad. Sometimes you get happy. They get married, you get happy. Then they get buried, and you're again sad. So family needs to be a priority. But if family is the priority, then you're setting yourself up for a lot of disappointment. Let me just say this. If you truly know and genuinely follow and serve Christ, then your family will take the rightful place and and will be taken care of properly and and you will show them the love and attention that God designed for your home. Your home will be happy, but your family is not to be number one. Next on this list in the blog, people responded that friends were a priority and, and it seems that teenagers, because of their insecurity, probably are the most guilty of elevating their their friends up to the most important prior, priority in their lives. But when we do that, we will be disappointed. Because even our best friends will eventually disappoint us. They'll move on to other friendships. There will be conflict. Most of our friends come and go. They should be a priority, but not the priority. How about health? Well, if your health is the most important priority in your life, and you eat right and exercise right, did you know that the statistics are still pretty grim? I mean, seriously, if your diet is no gluten, no sodium, no sugar, no coffee, no taste. You know, the saying is, put it in your mouth. If it tastes good, spit it out because it's not healthy. But did you know that even if we do everything right, 100% of us will eventually lose our health and die? You've probably seen that nursing home cartoon where they were the, the, these two old codgers, and they looked awful. They were in the nursing home, and and uh, and one said to the other, "You know, this is the reward we get for eating healthy." Uh, well, in this blog, some said that their pets were the most important thing in their life, and all I've got to say about that is not all dogs go to heaven, and absolutely zero cats go to heaven. And if you need chapter and verse for that, just turn to the book of Saint Joe. And it's scattered all throughout that book. You will find it there in that book. So those things and and many other things that I could have mentioned have their place. They should be a priority. But within a matter of just a few years, for some of us oldies, 10 to 20 years, the rest of you probably not more than 50 years from today, none of the above things will matter. Much of your family will be gone. Your friends will be gone. Your pets will be gone. Your health will be gone. And most of you will be gone as well. So knowing Christ is the priority. That's where everything begins, everything ends. It's the priority, not a priority. 
I heard a crazy story, probably wouldn't go over in the city, but again, you all are just a bunch of rednecks here. Um, supposedly true, someone submitted a recipe for fried chicken in a church cookbook, and, and the lady who submitted this was elderly, and she lived on a farm, and so when she had fried chicken, she'd go out to the barnyard, catch a chicken, and wring the neck off. That's the way they used to do things. And 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 anyway, in this church cookbook, as this lady was given the recipe for fried chicken, the very first step she put in the cookbook was to go out to the barnyard and catch a chicken. For her, that was the first step. The first step for eternity is to know Christ. And until you find Christ, nothing else matters. You know, Paul didn't say my main goal in life is to pastor the largest church in Israel. He didn't say my main goal in life is to become CEO or CFO or COO of a company. He didn't say my main goal in life is to make enough money so I can live comfortably in retirement. By the way, I read an article recently that said $1 million may not be enough for your retirement. That's kind of scary for those of us that are way below that. Paul doesn't even say that my main goal is to be able to accomplish a lot for God and the church and win a lot of people to God. Paul's greatest goal in life was to know Christ. Not just to know about Him, but to know Him. Not just to recognize Him, but to know Him. Not just to make it to heaven, but to know Him. Not just to be a good person, but to know Him. Not just to be baptized, but to know Him. Not just to attend church, but to know Him. Not just to read the Bible, but to know Him. So my question to you is this. Please answer in your heart. Do you know Christ? Do you really know Christ? Secondly, Paul wanted to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Now, what does that mean? Well, That same resurrection power that enabled Jesus to overcome death is the same power that enables us to overcome in life. Have you ever wondered how we can say no to temptation? Through the power of His resurrection. Have you ever wondered how you can break away from pornography? Through the power of the resurrection. Have you ever wondered how to break away from other addictions? Through the power of of the resurrection. Have you ever wondered how to overcome a spirit of negativity through the power of the resurrection? And we could go on and mention a thousand other things, but the power of the resurrection helps us to become more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So the question here is, do you know the power of the resurrection that enables you To be victorious. Thirdly, Paul said, I want to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. Now, I have to admit, this one stumped me for a while. What does it mean to know Christ in the fellowship of his sufferings? And and when I was studying this, I I had to bow my head and and say, God, my dull mind, I I can't grasp this. What does it mean to know you in the... You know, to have fellowship of your, your sufferings. And, and I'm not going to claim that I fully understand it, but I think God maybe just rolled back the curtain just a little bit so I could understand this partially. And 
Let me try to lay the foundation for this point, and we may take the scenic route, but, but hang with me because we'll get there. As I look at the church today, this church and, and churches in this community and, and churches all across the world, the, the, the country, but the, the, the church today as a whole has become very inwardly focused. The typical church spends most of its energy, most of its money, making us comfortable. Helping relieve the pain, the distress, the hurts of its current members. In other words, we've entered into the fellowship of our brother's sufferings. And this is commendable. We, We must do this. It's biblical. The Bible says when one member of the body hurts, we all hurt. We weep with those who weep. We must lift one another's burdens. That's part of what God wants us to do. But as I thought about this and prayed about this scripture, it appears that we've become so consumed with our own hurts and the hurts of others that that it's left us with little or no energy to share in the sufferings of Christ. And I know I haven't explained what the sufferings of Christ are. Just hang with me. A couple more moments. As I look back over the past 30 years of my ministry, I've preached so many sermons about being there for each other and, and sharing each other's sufferings. And I've wept many times, you know, at the scene of a tragedy or someone has, someone has lost a loved one and, and I wept them with them. I couldn't help it. Which I should. And I don't ever want to stop that. I don't ever want to become hardened. Don't misunderstand me. But I don't know. I don't know if I've ever shed a tear over the sufferings of Christ. Sometimes around Easter, I get a little bit emotional when I see the depiction of Jesus on the cross, and I shed a few tears. I'm moved by, you know, the hurry he suffered from the crown of thorns, the, the thorns, the spikes driven in his hands and his feet, and you know, just being mocked and being all of that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, I'll shed a few tears, and they're genuine, and I think that's okay. But I believe God is starting to help me partially understand that, that Christ's sufferings went so much deeper than the physical pain He encountered on the cross. If the sufferings of Christ were just the physical pain, Paul knew what the physical pain was. He said, I want to share in those sufferings, and he already knew what suffering was. He knew what it was to be beaten. Uh, mocked, ab- abused. Paul too was was uh, despised, rejected by men. You know, if you use a human scale of suffering, the apostle Paul might not have suffered on the level of Jesus, but he suffered a bunch, way more than any of us. But I don't think that's the type of suffering that Paul is referring to in the scripture because he knew physical suffering for Jesus. Nor do I believe that it was necessarily the redemptive suffering of, of Christ. No one could share in Christ's divine suffering. He alone had to take the sins of the whole world. He alone was wounded for our transgressions. The, the agony of His redemptive act was uniquely His. Nobody could really share in that. He had to do that. But when Paul says that he wanted to know Christ and the fellowship of His sufferings, I... I believe at least in part he was referring to the many times that Christ suffered in agony in his spirit. Jesus suffered when he saw an unbelieving people. Here Jesus had fed the multitudes and healed the sick and restored blind eyes and and deaf ears. and, And the people were still unbelieving. And I believe today Jesus still suffers when he sees a generation that is still unbelieving. 
You know, when people go to church and fail to follow God with all of their heart, I believe that causes him to suffer in his spirit. I believe Jesus also suffered when his disciples couldn't even stay awake to pray at his most crucial hour. And, and I believe that today he is still grieved when he sees our lack of prayerfulness, including mine. And I believe that Christ suffered and was grieved when he saw the condition of the church. And remember when Jesus went up to Jerusalem at the Passover, he entered the temple. He was seeking a house of prayer, but what he found was a disgusting marketplace. And his compassionate heart began to boil over with anger. And his meek spirit raged with righteous indignation. And, and with a whip in his hand, the Lord stormed into the temple, overturned the tables, and nowhere else in Scripture do you find such outrage in the Master. It was one of the most painful suffering experiences in all of his ministry. And so when Paul said, I want to know Christ and the fellowship of his sufferings, I believe part of it he was saying, I want to be broken by those things that break the heart of God. And I want to be grieved by those things that grieve Jesus. I want to be outraged by those things that brought out the outrage of Jesus. So my question for you is this. Are you willing to share in his suffering? Be broken and grieved and outraged by those things that break the heart of God. You say, well, Pastor, could you make it a little bit more practical? What, what, what is that today? Well, I think partially it's our lukewarmness. God gave so much, we give so little. I think it's our surface Christianity. I believe that grieves and breaks the very heart of God. I think it's our lack of caring when a brother or sister strays back into a former lifestyle of sin. You know, here at this church from time to time, and we're so blessed because we have people who come in and lifestyle of drugs, alcohol, sin, and they come in and They look rough, they look tough, they smell tough. And what do we say in our hearts a lot of times? Yeah, it won't last. Just give them a few weeks. When they do leave in a few weeks, what do we say? Yeah, I knew. You know, it's just the way it is. You just can't rehabilitate them. And instead of being broken in our hearts, instead of being grieved, we watch them walk out and never go after them. I think part of what grieves the heart of God is our focus to be comfortable. We want to be pampered and comfortable. I think what breaks the heart of God is when we're okay not having daily meaningful communion with her Savior. And so, what was the Apostle Paul saying? You know, I want to I know Christ, power of the resurrection, share in the fellowship of His sufferings. I can't say that I totally understand it, but I believe it's just understanding and knowing and being broken by what breaks the heart of God. There's one more phrase in that verse. Paul says, I want to become like him in his death. And again, I probably don't have a full understanding of this phrase, but I think what this means is no to me and yes to God. And you know what we pray here at this church? And I, I, I used to pray it. God, Give me less of me and more of you. 
That sounds like a good prayer, but that's a terrible prayer. Less of me, more of you. You know what is a good prayer? God, none of me, all of you. You see the difference there? And I'll admit that's what I always used to pray, oh God. And, and I felt pretty spiritual. I was praying, oh God, less of me and more of you. But no, no, none of me. All of you. You know, Jesus didn't necessarily want to go to the cross, but he said, not my will, but yours, oh God. God, I'm not looking forward to dying. I'm not looking forward to carrying the weight of the sin on the cross and, and, and descending into hell. I'm not looking forward to that. That's not what I want to do, but not my will, but yours, oh God. So the question here is, are you willing to do whatever Jesus asks you? Even if it violates your comfort zone. So the first point here is the priority is to know Christ. The second truth that we get from Paul is you must keep growing in the Lord. Look at what Paul said about himself in, in Philippians chapter 3 verse 12. Not that I've already obtained all of this. I haven't arrived. I'm haven't already I have I haven't been made perfect but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me you know Paul was kind of like the old cowboy who said I ain't what I ought to be and I ain't what I'm going to be but thank God I ain't what I used to be and let me just tell you something this this is a really pretty bold statement if you are completely satisfied with where you are spiritually then God probably is not satisfied with you you know, once you begin to feel that you've arrived and, and you're satisfied with your walk with God, then you're putting yourself in a danger, in danger of a fall. And, and you say, well, I thought we were supposed to be satisfied. Well, satisfied with Jesus? Certainly. Satisfied with salvation? Absolutely. Satisfied with what God has given us materially? Yes. But never satisfied with our walk with God. We should be striving, trying to be closer to God. Paul said, I press on to understand this better imagine a man who is in the starting blocks getting ready to run a race and the gun is fired he starts running he gets way ahead of everybody else but then he quits you know this doesn't matter how far ahead he is if he quits he's going to lose the race that's the reason Paul said, I press on. And, and what's impressive about his attitude is that Paul is writing this from prison and, and he was probably an old man he had been battered, probably had marks from being attacked by wild bees, probably some marks from having been in the Mediterranean Sea 36 long hours because of three shipwrecks. He had had 195 stripes laid on his back, probably was crippled, probably had arthritis in his joints, yet he's still running the race. As that southern gospel song says, I'm not giving up, I'm not turning around. By the grace of God, I'm going to wear a shining crown someday. Paul said, I'm going to keep pressing forward. I'm going to keep moving ahead. Let me tell you what's wrong with modern day Christianity. We have too many quitters. Thanks for all of those amens. You know, some quit all of a sudden because they get mad at someone. Someone said something they didn't like, whatever. They are out of here. If that's what Christianity is about, I don't want to be part of it. Some quit suddenly. Some quit slowly. And this is more common. Over time, they get casual comfortable slowly lose out maybe they quit teaching a class 
They drop out of a small group. They quit tithing. Slowly but surely, they quit. Never quit. Never, ever, ever, ever quit. I don't care how far ahead you are. If you stop running, you will lose the race. Number three, you must not dwell on the past. Verse 13 says, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. A Christian that looks back is not a very good Christian. We all remember the story of Lot's wife. They were fleeing the judgment that God was sending on Sodom and Gomorrah. And God said, run, don't look back. Well, she looked back and turned into a pillar of salt. And I'm debating whether or not to tell a silly story about a little boy in Sunday school class. So I'll just go ahead and do it. But the teacher told about Lot's wife looking back, turning into a pillar of salt. And the little boy said, teacher, that's nothing. My mother was going to the grocery store and she looked back and turned into a telephone pole. Uh, you know, you can't drive a car looking back, nor can you run a race looking back. Paul said, forgetting what is behind. And, and very quickly, let me mention several things we need to forget. First of all, we need to forget past guilt. In the same chapter, in, in verse 6, Paul is talking about his dark days when, when he persecuted the church. And, and Paul knew the things that he had done, and they were terrible. He had been guilty of the murder of Stephen. But he had been forgiven by God, and so he buried those things in the grave of God's forgetfulness. And, and so some of you, your past is horrendous. But you've been forgiven by the grace of God. You've been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. You need to let it go. If Satan is bringing up the past, and it's under the blood of Jesus Christ, you tell Satan to go to hell, and you move on, let it go. Secondly, some of us need to let go of past successes. You know, Paul had plenty of successes. In verse 7, he said, but whatever was to my profit, you know, whatever I've done well, I now consider it lost for the sake of Christ. And, and so don't allow your past successes to change you and make you think that you are pretty special. You know, sometimes it's best to forget our accomplishments. You know, in my lifetime, I've never really accomplished anything super outstanding like some of you have. You know, as everybody has, I've received a few awards, a few plaques, a few honors that were somewhat meaningful at the time. But if you go into my office, you don't see one plaque or award. They're all stuffed in a closet. And again, it's not that I've really done anything that would impress you. But my thought is this. If I'm good enough to receive an award, it's only because God gave me the ability. And the award should really go to God. It's not about me. It's about Him. So don't get too puffed up in your successes. You may be good, but sorry, you're not that good. If you're good at something, it's God. Thirdly, some of you need to let go of past hurts. In this passage, Paul talks about fellow Christians who had done him dirty, but he refused to carry around past hurts. And, and there will, there's nothing that will get you off track any faster than to carry around a hurt or a grudge. It's like cancer. Just know there will be those who criticize you. Not everybody likes me, and not everybody likes you. And really, it's not a priority of mine to be liked by everybody. Jesus said, beware when all men speak well of you. 
and I've never had to worry about that scripture right there. You know, when somebody does you dirty, here's what you need to do. You tell Jesus on them and then let it go. Don't sit around licking your wounds, moping, feeling sorry for yourself. Paul said, forgetting what is behind. As we wrap things up at the foot of the Swiss Alps, there's the grave of an Englishman. One day he was climbing an icy slope and he fell to his death. And on his grave marker is this epitaph. He died climbing. I want to die climbing. And literally, I can't think of a better way than to die climbing on a mountain. I'm already halfway up to heaven anyway. But spiritually, I want to die while I'm climbing, drawing closer to my Lord. I don't want to get comfortable. I don't ever want to say, well, I've served my time. Let some of the younger people do it. And, you know, those of us in my age group, we're famous for making statements like that. Well, you know, I've served my time for so many years. Let some of the younger people. I've heard some people in this church say that. No, that's not biblical. It's not good. You know, I want to be like Luella. Luella comes to early service. I think she's 150 years old or so. I don't know. Don't tell her I said that. But you know, Luella, she's still inviting people to church. She's still helping feed the kids on Wednesday nights. She still carries a burden for lost people. She's still active in the community. And she's still capable of harassing her pastor as she did this morning. I love Luella. No, I don't ever want to say, well, I've served my time. Rather, I want to say, where can I serve? And I do realize that ministries change with our age. And, but our ministry should not stop until the day we die climbing. So I wonder this morning, there may be some of you that you've gotten out of the saddle. <laughs> Shame on you. Time to get back in the saddle. Time to get back to serving people. Serving God. And you know what, all of us, we need to keep growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then we come back to the major priority. What's the priority? The only priority that's a the priority, it's knowing Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. You know what? When we know Jesus Christ, we're going to understand the power of the resurrection in our lives. We're going to be able to share in the fellowship of His sufferings, be broken with those things that break His heart, outraged by those things that brought Him anger. So this morning, you know what I think we need? I I think we all need to just recommit ourselves to know Jesus I didn't plan on this you know when I was preparing the sermon but early service I just kind of felt led I'm going to ask you to stand you know I'd like for us to this morning if you can if you're able could we just all come forward stand or you can kneel whatever you want to do and could we just recommit ourselves 
to knowing Jesus. Not knowing about Him, but knowing Jesus. Let's do that as we pray. Oh, Father, I want to thank You for this verse. Back in my college days, I adopted this as one of my life's verses. I want to know You and the power of Your resurrection. I want to share in the fellowship of Your sufferings. Lord, Forgive us for those times that we have elevated other things to the priority. But God, I pray that we would understand that knowing Jesus is what it's all about. And when we know Jesus, Lord, other things will just kind of fall in line. So Lord, today as a church, we want to just recommit ourselves to knowing you. Lord, whatever we've done and and elevated as a God... I pray that right now, right now in our hearts and minds, we would lower that to the rightful priority and that we would elevate knowing Jesus as the priority. Father, I pray that we would be different, that it would show. And God, as we know you, Lord, we want to have the power of the resurrection to to conquer our temptations, the, the addictions that we carry around. Lord, just the negativity, the bitterness, the anger, the hurts. Lord, we we pray that through the power of the resurrection, we would be able to be more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. And then God, help us to share from the fellowship of your sufferings. And yes, we want to continue to to share in the the, the sufferings of our brothers and sisters. That's biblical. But Lord, we also want to share. And Lord, we want to be broken with those things that break your heart. We want to be outraged by those things that, that, that bring outrage to you. God, help us to share in the fellowship of your sufferings. Lord, and then there's going to be that resurrection someday. God, I pray that we would be ready. So, Lord, let us live our lives with the right priority. Lord, this week, I pray that continually we would just be looking to you, Jesus Christ, the author, the finisher of our faith. So, Lord... As we go from here, forgive us for those times that we've brought you down. But today as a church, Lord, we're elevating you to your rightful place, the priority. Jesus Christ, high and lifted up, front and center. Lord, help us to live our lives that way this week and in the weeks to come. And for what you do for us. Lord, for the way that you help us keep our priority right. We will thank you. We ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen and Amen. Thank you so much for coming. Let's keep Jesus number one in our lives. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.